The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Peter Boyle as the monster. (laughs) Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Loris Leachman as Frau Blucher. You played that music in the middle of the night! To get us into the laboratory. Yes! And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find. Yes! So that I would... Yes! Then you and Victor were... Say it. He was my boyfriend! Carrie Gar as Inga. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Kenneth Mars. As the inspector. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Where am I? Calm down. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Listen, I I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Storm that castle! It's midnight! See Mel Brooks, Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. 
Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the actually titled episode 100. 100! I'm your host Jimbo, and, and joined by... Kyle, Kyle again. Brooker. Kyle <laughs> Brooker. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously we are going to have a lot of fun with this episode. Uh, we are talking about the great Mel Brooks film, Young Frankenstein, which happens to be one of my favorite movies and, you know, starring one of my favorite actors with Gene Wilder. I mean, this guy is just pure com- comedic gold and almost anything he touches. Uh, some of his movies with Richard Pryor, outstanding. Um, also, his work in, of course, the great Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, yes, Kyle, I see you have, you want me to ask you a question. You had to write it down. You could just say, well, do you have a question for me, Jimbo? I was, was going to keep the flow going. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right, Kyle. Um, what? I guess I'll throw an easy one out. For, no, don't want to give you an easy one. Or I'm going to give you a curveball. You know, um, give me a Frankenstein ball. Oh, okay. No, okay. What do you think that um, Mel Brooks's greatest uh, achievement in his career has been? Greatest achievement in his whole career? Oh, wow. You asked for it. You got it. That's such a wide open question. Like, what does that even mean necessarily? Uh, gosh. Um, in terms of filmmaking, you were, you were, I, 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 I think he wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think probably Blazing Saddles probably has the longest legacy in my mind of like everyone is like if you know Mel Brooks, you've seen Blazing Saddles. Um, Spaceballs is also very popular, but I feel like that's still it's a riff on Star Wars. People don't really recognize it much, but Blazing Saddles stands as its own thing even outside of westerns. So uh, I think that Blazing Saddles might be his most like his best film achievement. Of his whole career, actually. Um, this well, I, th- I, think, I think because basically Mel Brooks doesn't care. He's going to throw it in there if it offends somebody, it offends somebody. He doesn't care. He's basically not trying to offend anybody. He's trying to make fun of everybody because of the way how stupid everybody is about racism and all that. Because he makes fun of all that stuff. and But he may, does so where he makes light of it, but he, he, he shows how ridiculous it is of some things, too. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. He shows how ridiculous hate is, how ridiculous racism is, as a, yeah, as a concept of a racist person to be racist. Like, how, how absurd is that? Right. And so, yeah, he, he mastered that in Blazing Saddles so well um, that the film still holds up incredibly well today. It doesn't feel like just, uh, like, Young Frankenstein's obviously a uh, you know, parody of the original Frankenstein, and Spaceballs is a parody of uh, Star Wars. So, and Blazing Saddles is a parody of all Westerns in a weird, all the spaghetti Westerns. kind of way. Yeah. And then also, um, the producers is kind of like his own kind of like a, a more personal thing. I think he made. I know it still stands on its own too. Is a good film. I'm um, hard to get now that way too. Um, I think like uh, like Blazing Saddles probably is the most like his best like overall film achievement of like that one will stand the test of time more so than all his other works. More people will go back to Blazing Saddles and will go back to anything else he goes back to. So that's probably my answer overall. Like of Mel Brooks's whole like um, cinematic achievements, I would say probably. Blazing Saddles is the top for me. Very well, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Very how, well. How, how do you feel about that, Jimbo? I'm going to throw it back to you. What What do you think, or do you agree? Man, I mean, can I just say that as of this recording, he's still alive, mm-hmm. and I think he's ninety five, maybe like ninety five, ninety six around there. Yeah, um, uh, Kyle, you can look that up real quick. He but was two thousand twenty. I think it was nineteen twenty six when he. Was I born. know they had just green light. What was it? Uh, History of the World Part Two. Yeah, yeah. So that's incredibly ambitious for like a man of that age, right? To try anything of that. Um, you know, and 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 you know, you stop and you kind of wonder. Ninety five. He's going to turn ninety six next month. Yeah, you kind of wonder with all the cancel culture going on. Is Mel Brooks could the world survive with another Mel Brooks movie? Absolutely. Absolutely. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I kind of throw back. I, I think cancel culture, it's like, I, I don't believe in cancel culture in general. It's like you take a small knock to your reputation 
that's when you get canceled, and then you go home still a millionaire. That's what happens to like ninety percent of canceled people. You know, ninety-nine percent of all canceled people, anyways. And Mel Brooks, like, he's not an offensive person in many respects. Like, the only things he had in his whole career is like maybe some light homophobia and some of his comedic works where you're like he thinks it's funny just to imply someone's a homosexual and that's the punchline and like yeah true but also like it's never like he, he never like was is explicitly homophobic in like his own his own beliefs so like not a big deal and that's kind of the only thing he had that was even vaguely problematic during his whole career that people judge him for now if people look back with like woke culture now mm-hmm. that's pretty much the only thing people criticize him for you know so it's like Blading Saddles still holds up no one can't just cancel Blading Saddles for its use of the n-word or something like that too um so i think you can totally make a film with mel brooks stylings and beliefs and inherent in the film and be perfectly fine you know mel brooks he wasn't offensive in the first place well kyle i didn't mean this is supposed to be a lighthearted episode here you are going down the deep I, rabbit trail I, I don't mean to make it deep or controversial i just think mel brooks like he, you know, he's the zone you know you know he was <laughs> he was a jewish man served during world war ii he's a hero in his own mind in his own right man as a, as a good man so i think he, he's perfectly fine he doesn't write terrible jokes he doesn't you know he's a he's a really good person oh man men in tights i forgot about Men in Tights, what a great movie that is, right? <laughs> They're all just... And I like that type of comedy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's borderline slapstick, but, but I, man, it's just so yeah, good. It's absurd and great. And, and he, you know what? I told you, I said, we was, I was in here the other day, you know, doing notes and everything, and I had a young Frankenstein on, and I'm watching it. And as many times as I've seen it, and that scene where they they come into the bookcase, and he says, there's you know, there's got to be a secret passage here or whatever, and... She uh, he takes the candle out and he goes flying around the back of the bookcase and then he tells her put the candle back. <laughs> yeah. So he puts the candle back and he f- goes back and then he's like remove the candle. So he basically forces his body between the bookcase and the wall and it's his face is just smushed like, in there. Put this is very cool. Put the candle back. <laughs> and then she puts it back and uh, she steps out there and he takes out the candle. She goes back there and then she's like. Put the candle back. And it's just, I, I sat here and I laughed so hard I cried just to see his face when it's smushed against the thing. But what, what, you, I, I would love I, to know, I would love to know how many takes they have to do where they have to smash his face in the bookshelf. Like, okay, you ready to go? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I sat here and I watched that scene the other night and I am just over here crying, laughing. And, and my son walks into the room and I said, you got to see this. And I put it back there, and I and I started. He's looking at it like, well, this is stupid, you know. And then it gets the part where he smashes his face. And he's like, this is really cool. And he's up, my son even cracked up. So oh, I yeah, thought, yeah, no. if Mel Brooks can do that and expand yeah, yeah. generations oh, yeah, like that, oh yeah. Great. Oh yeah. So I think I think that's his whole career. Like his whole career. Like on on a base level, his slapstick humor is always top notch, and like he knows that like he knows the cream from the crop. He can absolutely just bring out the best of any performance, and he knows what to cut and what to keep, and he's still great about that. I imagine even today, if he's still sharp, as I hope he is. Um, and even then, like when when like the cancel culture stuff like when he does social commentary in any degree he lampoons any form of prejudice he looks at prejudice and he says you are absurd and i'm gonna laugh at you because you are silly and stupid for believing these terrible things so and that's what mel brooks has done his entire career and i love him for it so right. i think like absolutely i want to see you know he can live for another hundred years why not let's make him <laughs> i want another hundred years of mel brooks movies. you know no we have to get disney's head frozen we can, why can't we get mel brooks's <laughs> exactly, head frozen exactly. to keep it break, if we, we bring back somebody between disney and mel brooks let's bring back mel brooks <laughs> head-to-head battle <laughs> disney's head celebrity death head. Match. celebrity death match. Uh, exactly so kyle let's go ahead and jump into this we've rattled on for a, a long oh, time okay, already yeah, yeah. all right okay young frankenstein released on december 15th and 1974 directed by the of course uh, legendary Mel Brooks <laughs> um, writers um, screenplay and story were both written by Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks 
and it was based, of course, on the original novel Frankenstein, um, written originally by Marley Sh- Mar- Mary Shelley. Uh, producers was Michael Gruskoff, composer was John Morris, cinematographer was Gerald Hirschfield, and editor was John C. Howard. Next up, we got the budget for the film. The budget was only $2.8 million in 1974. And just for inflation, that'd be about $16.3 million. Million dollars. Million dollars. So even for the time, very modestly budget film. Um, gross worldwide, though, this is where the big money came in. I didn't know this movie was as successful as it was, but it actually made $86.3 million at the box office. So that's a huge return on the investment there. We're investing only like less than $3 million in and getting $80 million back. I'll do that any day. Mm-hmm. And um, gross and adjusted for inflation, that comes out to... Just right at half a billion dollars at $503.1 million, million in today's value. So, Young Frankenstein was very, very successful and deservedly so. So, absolutely love that. Um, moving on to the technical details here, we have a runtime of 106 minutes. Sound mix is completely mono um, track, complete mono West Tracks recording system, mono audio. Color info this is a black and white film. No color version of this exists, it was only filmed on black and white. Aspect ratio this is 1.37 by 1 for the original and negative ratio matted, and, and it was later matted to 1.85 to 1 on the theatrical ratio. Camera this was shot on a Panavision R200. Film length the um, length of this film comes to 2,905 meters. And for the, uh, let's see here, and that is the technical details of Young Frankenstein. <laughs> then Franken. Frankenstein. Franken, Franken. Doopin, gloppin, gleepin, gloopin. Um, we have the filming dates here. We have a filming dates between February 19th, 1974 to April 14th, 1974, which comes out to approximately um, one month, three weeks and uh, of uh, filming or seven weeks or 54 days of overall filming. So filmed in a brisk time frame, if you look at that. And let's see here. Moving on, we have the awards, which we'll be moving on here in just a moment if I can find out where I got the order for them right. We have the awards. In 2016, it was added to the Film Hall of Fame for the Online Film and Television Association. In 2003, it was added to the National Film Registry. In 1977, it won the Golden Screen Award in Germany. In 1976, at the Academy of Science Fiction and Fantasy and Horror Films, it won the Golden Scroll for Best Horror Film, Best Director, Best Makeup, and Best Set Decoration, and finally Best Supporting Actor. So sweep the awards of the Academy of Science Fiction Awards. And then at the 1976 and the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, it won the Best Dramatic Writing, awarded to Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks. In 1975, at the Academy Awards, it was awarded it was nominated for Best Sound and Best Writing. And at the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Actress in the Motion Pictures, which awarded to Cloris Leachman, and Best Supporting Actress, um, awarded to Madeline Kahn. And 75 again for the Hugo Awards, it won the Best Dramatic presenta- uh, Presentation. And also 75, the Saturn Awards, it was awarded the film for Best Actor, awarded to Marty Fieldman, actually, Igor himself. Then moving on to my legacy project, the thing I do every week, every else uh, from the beginning, anyways, since I joined on, the cast of Young Frankenstein. We, of course, have the legendary Gene Wilder playing the titular Dr. Frederick Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein. <laughs> Gene Wilder, of course, best known for roles such as uh, Willy Wonka in the Charlie Factory, where he played Willy Wonka himself. The producers in 1967. 
See No Evil, Hear No oh, Evil in 1989, and of course, Blazing Saddles in 1974. Gene Wilder, legendary actor. Awesome dude. <laughs> Next up, we have Peter Boyle playing Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. Oh, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> right, right. I should have known. I should have known. Um, Peter Boyle, also known for such roles in such a movie, um, Red Heat in 1988, Monster's Ball in 2001, and he was um, Frank Barron in Everybody Loves Raymond from 1996 to 2005. So that was probably one of his most well-known roles in being Everybody Loves Raymond for the TV show. Next up, we have Marty Feldman playing Igor. He was in such movies such as the last remake of Bow Jest in 1977. Um, he was the writer and star of his own show, Marty, between 1968 and 1969. And he was also in Yellowbeard in 1983. Marty Feldman also kind of best known as just an actor, uh, as, a, as a writer for various um, movie roles and TV shows for a long period of his career. Very few acting gave himself, but overall, very funny writer. Good for him. Next up, we have Madeline Kahn playing Elizabeth. Um, she was in such movies such as Paper Moon in 1973. Clue in 1985, Blading Styles again in 1974, and The Muppet Movie in 1979. Oh, love The Muppet Movie. The Muppet Movie is a, the Muppet movie is a classic. I said Cuppet Movie. I don't know. <laughs> Weird. Next up, we have Cloris Lynchman playing Frau Blutcher. Blutcher. <laughs> yeah. She was in The Last Picture Show in 1971. She was the granny in the Beverly Hillbillies movie in 1993. And she was also in History of the World Part 1 in 1981. Next up, we have Terry Garr playing Igor. He was in such films such as uh, Close Encounters. Uh, oh, Inga. Terry yeah, Garr say, playing Inga. Geez. I got Igor and Inga messed in my head. My apologies. <laughs> Terry Garr playing Inga. She thoughts. was in such films such as Close Encounters <laughs> for the Third Time. I'm going to drive through this. I'm going to just punch through this, Jumbo. Don't worry. She was in such films such as Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. Tootsie I in 1982. We were asking her, telling her, "Hey, nice humps." Nice humps. <laughs> that might have a Thank totally you. different meaning than when you're trying to tell it to Igor. Huh? Uh, that's, I, was, I was Tootsie in 1982, and After Hours in 1985. Inga, Inga, not Igor. Inga, Inga. <laughs> Terry Gar. I guess classic actors. He's also um, stars on. One of my favorite movies, too, Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. Ah, I've not watched that in forever. Um, okay, next up we have Kenneth Mars playing Inspector Kemp. <laughs> <laughs> he was the, um, he was, uh, he originally played Triton in the 1989 version of The Little Mermaid. And he was also in the movie What's Up Doc in 1972 and The Producers in 1967. And then we have Richard Hayden playing Her Falkstein. He was in the movies such as The Sound of Music in 1965. Alice in Wonderland in 1951, and Then There Were None in 1945. Then finally we have Liam Dunn playing Mr. Hilltop. He was in such movies such as Blazing Saddles in 1974, What's Up Doc in 1972, Charlie and the Angel in 1973, and A Reflection of Fear in 1972. And that is the cast of Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Hi, I'm Frankenstein! Hi, Frankenstein! So, so, as you can tell, this, this episode is just going to be a bunch of fun. Exactly. Um... So when Mel Brooks was actually preparing for this film, well, before we start, Kyle, why don't you give us a synopsis before a I... A synopsis of the film, Young <laughs> Frankenstein. It, 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 I feel like everyone knows the story of Frankenstein, but um, Dr. Frankenstein attempts to bring the dead back to life by stealing bodies and not, tying them together. Not Dr. Frankenstein. It's like his like grandson or great-grandson. Oh, his great, yes, the grandson of the original Frankenstein. And he's trying to break away from the Frankenstein 
name. Uh, mm-hmm. He must, you know, Frankenstein. He's like yeah. a professor at a college. Yeah, strange way, strange way pronounce it. Trying to distance himself from like, ooh, my my grandfather had some bad politics. I need to, I need to distance myself away from no. And so, yes, he's trying to distance him away. So, anyways, he's going back to the castle of Frankenstein, and he finds his 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 grandfather's old library, and attempts to do the, the same yeah. his the same experience. Well, his library than his laboratory. It's combo item. <laughs> Laboratory. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> if you go to what's what's the Uber, what's the thing you do is the stay at different houses. I forgot that service now. Like Airbnb. Airbnb, yeah. You guys Airbnb is freaking Saints Manor. <laughs> Frankenstein Manor. <laughs> That'd be the joke you make today. Um <laughs> But yes, yeah, so he, he's gonna he's gonna re, he's gonna retry the experiment again and bring the dead back to life and he succeeds. He brings up Frankenstein's monster and has the whole hijinks and stew too where he has to deal with having created this being and dealing with all the hijinks and consequences that come from And it escapes. And, and, escapes. Is, yeah. and then the Frankenstein lives, you know, um, learns uh, that he wants to be loved and also, like, it's, it's scared of fire and establishes <laughs> all those classic Frankenstein uh, 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 roles, basically qualities of Frankenstein. It establishes all those things. So it is, it is just that plot in a really fun way. Right. So when Mel was preparing for this film, he discovered that Ken Strickfaden, who'd made the elaborate electrical machinery for the lab sequences in the Universal Frankenstein films, was still alive and living in Los Angeles area, Brooks visited Strickfaden and found that he had stored all the equipment in his garage. Brooks made a deal to rent the equipment and gave Strickfaden the screen credit he didn't receive for the original films. That is incredible. That is how. Hey, uh, by the way, you want to come to my garage? You know, you see the, I original, have all the original stuff here. Frankenstein Laboratory. Oh, you want to take it with you? You want to use it? You want to rent it out? Sure, no problem. Just yeah, just send their collected dust. Oh, by the way, can you give me that credit I deserve 30 years ago? Yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, just talking about tying up loose ends on the world, you know, doing justice where justice was not done the first time. Right. So, yeah, me and Kyle were talking about this at breakfast this morning. You know, the. This was in 1974. I think the original Frankenstein was, what, 1935, 34, 35? Sure. And, you know, you're talking, what, 30, 30 years? years of, like, yeah. And here we are talking about it 50 years after that. So you're talking like 80 or 90 years ago. Yep, 1931. So, yeah, it would yeah. have been 33 years. Uh, no, uh, uh, 43 years. 43 years. 43 years right. bringing justice back so to it's the world. I guess in 2024, it'll be, what, 90 years? Uh, yeah, yeah. Twenty. Well, and, No, 21. Well, yeah. Well, 90, Wait, so it's 91 years right now, right? It's 22. If it was 1931, then yeah, so 91 years. Wow, ninety-one years—the original Frankenstein. Wow, it's 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 weird having movies that are going to be more than a century old really soon. <laughs> yeah, and there's already a few now, but like having that growing list of actual classics becoming more than a hundred years old—that just means that you're getting freaky. older, Kyle. I, I don't I don't like it. Uh, you <laughs> know, Igor was a beloved character in this episode with by the great uh, Marty Feldman, but the shifting hump on Igor's back was actually ad, an ad lib gag by Marty Feldman. <laughs> he had been actually shifting the hump back and forth for several days when cast members finally noticed <laughs> it was then added to the script. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Gene Hackman, a legendary actor in his own right, uh, learned about the film through his frequent tennis partner, Gene Wilder, and requested a role because he wanted to try comedy. He volunteered to play the blind hermit for free. It was four days of shooting uh, for about four minutes of runtime. Oh wow! Which Kyle loves the old blind hermit in the in the woods. It's it's one of the funniest scenes of just pure slapstick humor, like pouring the milk on uh, not the milk, the soup, the milk, like, yeah. the milk, the farm milk. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, hold your bowl out!" And you know, he goes, like, he, he's trying to catch oh, it in the bowl. Yeah. He's like, he's well, doing everything oh, he can to catch it in his lap. Yeah. Ah. 
uh, coughing in the smokes. It's so good. Gene Hagman also ad-libbed the blind man's parting line was, I was going to make espresso. The scene immediately fades to black because the crew erupted into fits of laughter. Uh, Hagman was unable to repeat the line without laughing with the rest of the crew, so the first take was used. Hagman was uncredited with the movie uh, when it was originally released in theaters. That's great. Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks got into only one fight during the movie's production, but it was a big one, with Mel throwing a huge temper tantrum, yelling and raging, and eventually storming out of Gene's apartment where the men had been working on the script. Roughly ten minutes later, Gene's phone rang. It was Mel. And he had to say this. Who was that madman you had in your house? I could hear the yelling all the way over here. You should never let crazy people into your house. Don't you know that? That could be dangerous. <laughs> that, as he later put it, was Mel's way of apologizing to him. That's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Like, no one can stay mad at Mel Brooks. He just can't stay mad Gene at Gene Wilder <laughs> has stated on record that this is his favorite of all the films that he's made. And I have to agree with him. It's probably my favorite one he's done too. It was no doubt the funnest one he made. For and sure. I, you know, just the hair he had, it was just, just perfect. Yeah. Uh, Cloris Leachman also improvised the dialogue in which Frau Booker. What? I, 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 zoned out I for said Cloris Leachman improvised the dialogue in which Frau Booker. Frau Booker. Uh, you got a neigh like a horse every time you mention her name, Kyle. That's oh perfect. yeah. You missed that I, guy. I, I, okay, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> stupid, okay, stupid millennial. Um, <laughs> she, where she offers him the varm milk and off Ovaltine to Doctor Brainstorm. I remember she's like, "Would you like some coffee? <laughs> so perhaps some varm milk. Yes, it's good. Ovaltine, perhaps." <laughs> You want to be a nail like a horse? What's wrong with you? Yeah. When Gene Wilder leans in to kiss Madeline Kahn goodnight in her bedroom, her last second quip, no tongues, was I lived by Madeline Kahn. That's good. That's good. It's good. Oh, man. The cast, especially Mel Brooks, had so much fun when making this movie and were really upset when principal photography were all, was almost completed that Mel added scenes to keep continue shooting. Yeah, you got to keep that energy going because it's just too much fun. I love that. I, I wish... You know, I wish he would have done another one like The Bride of Frankenstein or something, you know, and brought them all back again for oh, it and all that. that but fantastic. I, yeah. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know why they didn't. I wish they did. Young Bride of Frankenstein. Young Bride of Frankenstein, uh, sure. When they started to film the putting on the Ritz scene, no one was sure what the creature should say. <laughs> the first time out of the gate, uh, Peter Boyle came up with a strangled version of Moon <laughs> <laughs> And they kept it it's in good. there. It's good. Oh, man. Uh, in 19, this is something I did not know. In 1974, Aerosmith took a break from a long night of recording to see the film. Steven Tyler wrote the band's hit Walk This Way the morning after seeing this movie, inspired by Marty Feldman's first scene in the Walk This Way. No, no, This Way scene. It's such a bizarre inspiration. But, you know, the history yeah, yeah, of these yeah. songs now that you, it's you hear. You can't unhear that now yeah. if you're listening to that So every song. time you Walk This Way, you'll be leaned over, hunching down. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, this way. No, 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 this way. Um, the ideal of Frederick's dart hitting a cat was ad-libbed on set. When Gene Wilder threw his dart off camera, director Mel Brooks quickly screamed like a cat to create the <laughs> illusion. Uh, Gene Wilder would only make this film, which is interesting, if Mel Brooks promised not to appear in it. Because Mel Brooks usually has a cameo or a role in almost all of his movies. But Wilder felt that Brooks' appearance would ruin the illusion. Brooks made off-camera appearances as the Howling Wolf, Frederick's grandfather, and the Shrieking Cat. <laughs> Uh, Mel Brooks considers this the best film he has ever directed, but rates it number three amongst his funniest uh, after Blazing Saddles and The Producers. Uh, Brooks confirmed that these views uh, in, in interviews celebrating his 90th birthday in 2016. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, the scene which required the most takes to be filmed was the one in which 
<laughs> Igor bites Elizabeth's animal wrap. <laughs> the reason was that each time he did it, he was left with a piece of fur in his mouth, <laughs> which caused the other actors and actresses to laugh, hysterically. laugh. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the Walk This Way gag bit done by Marty Feldman originally planned to be cut from the final version of the film gained so much popularity that Mel Brooks included variations of it in History of the World Part 1 and Robin Hood Men in Tights in 1993 and still a running gag to this day. That's fantastic. I love it. love it. I, I feel like I'm going to keep saying that every time we get I love it. I love it. It's yeah. so good. Every single, not a wasted moment in this whole film. You know, another uh, iconic scene in this film is when uh, uh, Inga and uh, Frankenstein, Frankenstein are uh, going through the... Uh, castle with the the candle and they're going to that room and it's like oh look this is uh uh three years dead head skull oh, this yeah. is like two years six months and then you got igor this is freshly dead freshly i dead. got no body <laughs> yeah, right so, so but the skull that freddie and inga find uh under the uh, castle were real skulls except for the one that was six months dead which was actually handcrafted so ooh, they yeah. were real Real skulls. Well, sometimes you're cheaper to get. Sometimes you know, just you don't need body to science, and now it's on the movie set. Can I? Can I just say? I just thought of it. Another one of my favorite parts. It was of James this, Dean's head. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this film is when he sends Igor to go get a brain, yeah. <laughs> and he puts it in the monster, and the monster starts going crazy. And uh, Frank sends uh, Igor. Uh, can I? Uh, can I? Uh, can I? Can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. Hey, sure. He's like, uh, did you get the doctor's did you brain? Get, yeah, the doctor or whatever's brain. He's like, no. No, He's like, I didn't. Uh, whose brain did you get? He goes, uh, Abby somebody. Uh, Abby somebody. <laughs> Abby somebody. What? What do you mean, Abby? What was your last Abby name? Abby normal. Who? Abby normal. <laughs> you made to tell me you got me an abnormal brain. <laughs> I just think that it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. It's great. Oh, man. Uh, Gene Wilder constantly cracked up during takes. According to Cloris Leachman, he killed every take with laughter and none, nothing was done about it. Shots would frequently have to be repeated as many as 15 times before Wilder could finally summon a straight face. <laughs> I, I bet. I understand why. You can't, can't have a giggle every single time. And if they already have that manic energy on the set, you know, as I kind of said earlier, right. sure you just can't contain yourself. Mel it's Brooks great. initially thought that the Walk This Way gag was too corny and wanted to cut it from the film, but... Once the audience's reaction was uh, seen at a one night at a screening, he decided to leave it in, which I'm glad he did because we'd have it's a slightly different world if you didn't do that. You know, you don't get that Aerosmith song, we don't get those movie references. <laughs> it's a different world, All right? <laughs> uh, due to makeup con- uh, continuity problems, certain shots in the blind man scene had to be reshot, and the shots where the blind man spills soup on the monster, the hand spilling the soup actually belonged to Mel Brooks and not Gene Hackman. Ah, so we did this little cameo in yeah, that way. Yeah, but you didn't see him. I know, I know. But he still, he got, he got his hand in. That's what matters. Just like in Frankenstein in 1931, the greenish face makeup was used on the monster to make his features more prominent in black and white. For the film? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the brain which Igor is sent to still is labeled as belonging to Hans Delbruck, a scientist and a saint. <laughs> there was a real-life Hans Delbruck. He was a 19th century German military historian and professor at the University of Berlin, notable for going beyond technical problems and linking warfare to politi- or politics and economics. His son, Max Delbruck, was a 20th century biochemist and noble laureate. Wow. Sounds like he was actually true to the cause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scientist and a saint, to a degree. When Elizabeth is brushing her hair, she sings the Battle Hymn of the Republic. According to Mel Brooks's DVD commentary, they picked that song for her to sing because it was actually in the public domain. Yeah, so it was cheap. Just totally random. <laughs> a lot of great It was free. Right. Yeah, it was free, yeah. Uh, Peter Boyle met his future wife, Lorraine Alterman Boyle, when she visited the set to write an article about the filming of Young Frankenstein for the Rolling Stones magazine. Cool. 
the experiment the medical students mentioned where Darwin preserved a worm and fluid until it came to life is mentioned in actually uh, Mary Shelley's foreword in the novel of Frankenstein. The Darwin in question was Erasmus Darwin, the grandfather of the famous Charles Darwin. Gene Wilder's performance as Dr. Frederick Frankenstein is ranked number nine on Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances of All Time, ahead of the likes of Robert Nero in Raging Bull and Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot in 1989. Wow. Wow. I mean, you, you got to grade things on a curve sometimes. But yes, I, I agree. I mean, Gene yeah. Wilder put put everything into it. I think, like, I think it's just funny that you got a comedy ahead some of these more serious actors in these iconic yeah. roles. Well, you we were talking earlier at breakfast. I said that this might be my favorite Gene Wilder role of his whole career, actually. Like, he did a lot of crazy things like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. But um, this stuff here is, like, my favorite, like, most true Gene Wilder in my mind. Right. Yeah. Uh, the candle the actors are holding while exploring the castle at night were made of aluminum pipe with 100-watt projection bulbs concealed inside. A wire ran up each actor's sleeve and down the pant leg. So in addition to remembering the lines, they had to remember to keep the wires and bulb out of view. So multitasking there as yeah. an actor. Uh, Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle, and Marty Feldman appeared in this film by virtue of the fact that their mutual agent had a deal with the movie studios. So he's like, hey, I got a couple other guys that need mm-hmm. work. Uh, when the monster is being brought back to life, the area around his eyes and what appears to be his teeth began to glow. This was done with a plastic head created to look exactly like that of Peter Boyle. Some fake teeth, fake brain tissue, and a light were used to create the effect. Nice stuff, nice stuff. Uh, the clock chimes exactly 13 times at the beginning of the film. So that's only Unlucky this, number. It's one, well, a clock won't chime 13 times, Kyle, yeah, unless, well, still, you know, yeah, unless okay. it's in military time. Unless it's military time, yeah. Uh, It's been rumored for many years that the scene where Frederick accidentally stabs himself with a scalpel wasn't in the script and that Gene Wilder accidentally did it for real but continued the scene. This is false. In fact, if you look closely enough, you can see a square patch under Wilder's pant leg with a scalpel and where he was meant to stab. And I watched it. You can see like his right leg is actually a lot bulkier and bigger than so he could stick the scalpel. So yeah, he stick the scalpel and not not just hurt himself so badly. It would hurt so badly if he ever did that. The blind man scene includes parts where we see the monster having hot soup poured on him and getting his thumb lit on fire. To keep himself protected, Peter Boyle had a hot pad on his lap, and he held a fake thumb with alcohol on it to keep the fire burning. Oh, wow. So Impressive stuff. Yeah. Impressive stuff. Uh, Claremont von Frankenstein, who had an uncredited role as a villager, was a descendant of the noble House of Frankenstein, the namesake for the uh, character in Mary Shelley's original novel. Wow! So small. An actual Frankenstein. An actual Frankenstein was in Frankenstein. Well, the the, the novel. Movie. The novel, yeah. yeah. Still. Um, after the dark game, when Inspector Kemp is leaving the castle, there is a gargoyle on the side of the building that looks like Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, according to TCM, it actually it resembles Mel Brooks. So uh, I don't know if you caught that. I did not catch um, that. Igor cool. mentions that his grandfather, also named Igor. As evident by Frederick's first visit to the lab, uh, used to work for Frederick's grandfather. Interestingly, in Frankenstein 1931, the assistant's name was not Igor, it was Fritz. Uh, Igor, spelled Wygor, did not appear until Son of Frankenstein in 1939, where he worked for the son of the original doctor. Mm. Gotta get the continuity guys on that kind of stuff. I was like, it's not canon, it's not right. You can't revise history on that. Thing. Easy there, Disney. This is like the Easy sequel there. trilogy of Star Wars. Easy there, Star Wars. Ray Skywalker, are you kidding me? She's a Palpatine. <laughs> Charles Opie, a missionary, is on the third brain on the shelf. Credit Paul Mulek for the following. It seems that there was a graphic artist named Charlie Opie who had previously worked as a preacher. 
The artist who made the labels for the brain jars was a buddy of Opie, so he put the name on the label as an inside joke. Apparently, Charles Opie didn't find out about it until many years later. <laughs> Oops. Um, the film was shot at least in part on the old MGM backlot. Most obviously, the sloped quality street, Town Street, was used during the coffin transportation scene, which is another hilarious scene of this movie. Uh, presumably various other exteriors <clears throat> utilizing the existing MGM standing sets were used to keep production costs down, such as the MGM train station, also later used in the Bee Gees Stayin' Alive music video. Nice. As again, Stayin' Alive, Frankenstein. Yeah. I mean, walk this way. We're, we're getting some classic. Yeah, yeah, small world without Frankenstein. You know, yeah. It's just, it's so good. And it's like, listen, like this film was just filmed with so many, like, there's so many good scenes and gags that anytime you talk about it, you're going to leave out something you wish right. you Right, and through. you forget about stuff until exactly. you watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when reporters asked Terry Garr about her experience working with Jane Wilder, what do you think she had to say, Kyle? What she had to say? Wilder is a jerk. Wilder is a jerk. <gasps> so mean. So I guess maybe he's not all fun and laughs. Exactly, exactly. Um, originally in the script, after Igor drops the brain jar, he was to turn to the camera clip and say, funny thing is, I tried. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good. Uh, in the original yeah. poster art work, they had put a McDonald's on this mountainside. Having <laughs> uh, never received permission to use the Mickey D logo, they were forced to remove it from the key yard due to copyright infringements. T-shirts and posters had already been printed and had to be destroyed and redone, removing the McDonald's logo. Oh, my God. Logo. A, I wish I could find one. Can you imagine having a McDonald's re- We could probably recreate it, though, too. Uh, Kyle, no. I wouldn't be bad. No, we Don't get on the Mickey D's empire <laughs> on you. Uh, Madeline Claude appeared in The Bride of Frankenstein. It's McDonald's, not McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> Uh, Madeline Kahn appeared on the uh, Bride of Frankenstein outfit on her uh, on her wedding night and hisses at her husband just as the original character did in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, talented violinist Gerald Jerry Vinci played the hauntingly exquisite solo during the opening credits. Ooh, cool. Uh, when Dr. Frankenstein arrives on the train at the Transylvania station, the dialogue between he and the shoeshine boy is a play on lyrics of the song Chattanooga Choo Choo. In the song, Tex Binicky sings, Track 29, Boy, You Can Give Me a Shine, and references Pennsylvania Station. Freddie asked the boy if this is Transylvania Station. The boy responds, Track 29, Oh, Can I Give You a Shine, to which Freddie responds with a dry, No, thank you. <laughs> um, at one point in this movie, when Frederick is about to kiss Elizabeth, she says, No tongues. Gene Wilder took that line so literally that he held his tongue and didn't move it at all. Even after they stopped filming the scene, he still kept his tongue still. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the desolate shroud and ground frog that viewed where the werewolf howl was heard is a nod to the original film The Wolfman, which has a similar landscape, which paying homage to the old Universal monsters. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two labs assistants are named Igor and Inga. Inga is the feminine form of the old Swedish name Ingvar or Ingmar. The Russian name Igor is, according to some linguistic scholars, a corruption of the same name. So Igor and Inga are kind of basically similar. Yeah, history. history. Yeah, cool and of course, according to Kyle. They both were Igor, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Both Igors in my mind. Uh, The genius of Mel Brooks predicted the method of greeting part of uh, parting nearly 45 years before it became common when Elizabeth and Victor touched elbows at their parting at the railway station. Where she's like, no, no, you can't kiss me. I have my makeup or whatever. (laughs) Uh, The copy of the Wall Street Journal seen near the end of the movie is dated Thursday, May 9th, 1974. In Halloween H20, 20 years later... Jamie Lee Curtis's character is discussing the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley in the classroom. She pronounces it as Frankenstein, similar to the way Gene Wilder's character did in this movie. That's great. 
So I love how they throw little uh, mm-hmm. stuff in other movies. Yeah. Uh, the Frankenstein family crest includes a double-headed eagle, an old symbol of power and dominion. Mm-hmm. Nobility. The power. opening scene of the coffin might have been inspired by a similar one in the 1958 Hammer film Horror of Dracula. Horror of Dracula. Right. I've seen that one. And the director, Cameo Bell Brooks, the voice of the original Dr. Frankenstein when Frederick sees the laboratory for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle... <laughs> I, wait, I got a question for you. Do, oh, do, do, oh, you got a question in your own little mindscape, is this in the same universe as Leslie Nielsen's Dracula Dead and Loving It? 1995. Uh, can you imagine if they had a yeah. uh, uh, a running... You know how you have like the Universal Monsters and you they were trying to make the dark Universal Monsters with starting with Tom Cruise's The Mummy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if they had a comedy, <laughs> comedy with like Young Frankenstein... Dracula dead and loving it, you yeah. know. Uh, and then Abbott and, Con- Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, you know. Yeah. And just keep going on and just have like a comedy spoof of the comedy with Universal that Monsters. That's a cool. I like Dracula dead and loving it too, but I don't think it's nowhere in the same ballpark as this movie. This it was definitely trying to go for the same idea. Though. Right, right, yeah, right. But I, yeah, I understand. It, it didn't. It's not nearly as good as this. Maybe if it would have been in black and white, it would have been better. It's also the case. Yeah, but I it was mean, in color. Was so. right, yeah. But Leslie Nelson knocked it out of the park with that too. But that has nothing to do with this movie and how fantastic it is. Yeah, I was just thinking of a small world like like oh yeah, Dracula trying to like you know Leslie Nielsen. I feel like carried that comedy baton when like Mel Brooks movies weren't as popular back then. Right. You know, and I really really appreciate that. So that's cool stuff there. But uh, okay, you were asking what I thought about the overall film. Yeah, um, I love it. Obviously, <laughs> we we both love this film. It's hard to go into these most of your thoughts like that. But um, no, this is an incredibly excellent film. Um, I will say there's a lot more of a. Uh, it it kind of goes almost into the Shrek mind of adult jokes that like kids may not get. But there's only a whole lot of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even so, think Kyle got them the first time he watched it. Probably didn't because I did watch them when I was a kid. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would definitely think like maybe keep that in mind if you're bringing your kids the um, your your you know have your kids watch it with you or something like that. Keep that in mind maybe just a little bit because there might be some things that might they might catch you don't want to catch. Um, but overall, it's a fantastic film, worth worth watching all the time, anytime, just anytime you have it on. It's, it's a great film to watch at any time. So I adore this film. I love it. It's one of the um, best Mel Brooks films ever made. Um, you know, up there in like top. Like I think, like you know, the producers, Blazing Saddles, and this film are like the best films he's pretty much made. Um, so yeah, absolutely adore it. Um, Jimbo, how do you feel about the whole thing? <laughs> Man, you know how I feel. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, you know, I can't. You you watch this movie, and I don't think you can go more than five minutes without laughing at something in the movie. Even mm-hmm. as many times as I've seen it, uh, there's always something you catch that you haven't saw, and it's just. It's hilarious, and the the little subtleties that they put in there, the little facial expressions, like there's the scene where um, the the girl is uh, talking with Frankenstein, and she's like, "Oh, we we ran out of pedals to throw down the hole. What are we going to throw down?" And, and the monster just looks at the camera and gives the smirk, like, yeah. "You know, I should throw it out in yeah, there." Exactly. But, what are you starting to do? Come on, right? Uh, <laughs> and I think I think uh, Peter Lorre does, or not Peter Lorre. Um, Peter Boyle. Uh, Igor, no, Igor does it too. Marty Feldman does it too a couple times oh, where he yeah. looks at the scene. Yeah, he just looks at the camera. Um, acknowledges the yeah, audience there. It's kind of like breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And I find that stuff hilarious. Um, some people may not like this film, and I don't know why. Uh, maybe wrong. they're just not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you just don't like that type of slapstick uh, comedy. But if I'm going to watch a comedy, it's going to be something like this because it's absolutely entertaining and hilarious. Mm, yeah. So uh, there you have it. That's Young Frankenstein. It was great to finally be able to sit back and just goof off and have some fun without diving into like Schindler's List and some of those hard-hitting movies yeah, that have really, themes and really plot. Kind of stuff, yeah. um, next week we will be jumping back on our James Dean bandwagon with James Dean's last movie, Giant. Um, and then uh, probably the week after that we're going to be doing the real talk with um, 
the life death, and death, and life and death of James Dean and uh, all the tragic circumstances surrounding his life mm-hmm. and why his legacy is what it is. So I'm really looking forward to that because there's some stuff we need to find out about James. Yeah, Dean yeah it's, life, it's so. interesting trying to dive deep on him because it's like, like well, for better or worse, like because he had a short life, you can kind of like you can kind of read everything about him and then build your own opinion based on him versus right. like having somebody have like a 90 year film career then you can't really like summarize anybody. But James Dean, you can't summarize. Don't forget our live yeah. show July 16th in Indianapolis. Yeah, we hope you can make it out here to see us. Uh, we'd love to see you guys. I uh, love to meet our listeners and just, you know, all around have a goof off, have a good time. It's going to be an awesome show. Come right. see it. Yeah. When you see it. <laughs> we're going to have our bands there. Get our armband. Yeah, it'll be cool. <laughs> well, we might have some wristbands there. We don't know. Uh, probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Nice. Jimbo can probably, confirm. Probably about 101% Can't chance. confirm, deny. <laughs> probably about 101% chance that's going to happen. It might we got be cool things. multiple colors. You'll laugh. Like Uncle Frankenstein laugh. It'll be good. Uh, oh no! Don't say that. That people might not show up because they don't like it. Oh no! Well, we don't want people that don't like Young Frankenstein to show up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening uh, from Jimbo and Kyle Stein. Uh, Kyle Stein. Kyle I mean. Stein. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Kyle this Einstein. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Skyner. Right. Uh, so I better get off here before Kyle just keeps going on and on about nonsense as usual. So with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. And cut.